Welcome to Pioneer Space. Um, we have Natalie here this afternoon, a um, very special guest, um, a woman I've known for, I don't know how many years now. Um, I think maybe pushing 13. 13 years, 13 yeah. Years. So, yeah. Oh, throwback, throwback. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I, yeah, we was literally just talking about what you guys do, and I think it's so important and pivotal to have these spaces where we're showing people our people and what our people are doing in the community so thank you for having me I'm gonna try not get big-headed in in this call um, but no, I, I, I'm good. gonna try not to stroke your ego so much, but, um, <laughs> yeah you're amazing at what you do and um, I think you're you're a pillar in the community and I, I don't say that very lightly so my first question is what do you think defines a pioneer? Oh, this is a good question. Um, what defines a pioneer? I think there's so many different aspects that kind of come into it. I think a pioneer is someone that's defining the space and changing the space. So I can only ever use my personal experiences and things that I've gone through to kind of give good um, examples, if that makes sense. So if I think about banking and the the industry that I'm in a pioneer in that would be doing something that's uncomfortable something that isn't easy to be done but also is almost navigating what you want for the future so I'm very future headed I like to think of okay what is what is my aspirations for the future what do I want to change what do I want to achieve and that almost is what a pioneer is to me kind of what are you thinking to change the game how are you doing that and not being afraid to do it as well I always also say just to sort of piggyback on that as well I always also say like sometimes you know what just merely existing in a space that you're not supposed to be at I feel like you're pioneering something yeah. there there like that's a revolution in itself so you giving that extra bit of detail as well I feel like yeah I like it I resonate with it I hear that man it's true though I feel like it's 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 a difficult one and it's uncomfortable at points you know I think you know we'll get we'll get into my career but there's been many times in my career that I've been uncomfortable I've been the only one that is black let alone a black female in the space so just being there and showing up people underestimate how much effort that takes and just doing that you're pioneering your own space in your own right so yeah man I like that because you, you said pioneer and space so I just you know? yeah we're like come that. employ me guys I'm full of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's lovely that's lovely but um yeah no for me I think I'm I'm quite keen to get into the career. I'm quite keen to get into the journey. Yeah, that was that was my next point because yeah, you touched upon that. Um, should we talk about the career or should we talk about the whole journey of life? What do you think? It, you know, with me, I'd always say probably journey first because uh, there's a beauty in the journey. But we we'll let Natalie decide what she. I mean the journey the journey kind of helped get me to where I where I am now so it makes complete sense to start off with that so and apologies if it seems like I'm talking a lot but I just want to make sure we kind of get everything in that we need to okay. um, but I guess where should I start so in in terms of my parents I you know, I had mum and dad, obviously. My mum is from Trinidad and Tobago and my dad is from Nigeria. So I had the mix of both cultures. 
um, first person in my family to be born in the UK. So again, both of them lived in their respective countries and came over to the UK for education, um, as I think a lot of our parents kind of did back then. So it was interesting. I'm first born in my family as well. So kind of, <laughs> it was always drummed into me from day you know, you're going to have to work harder than other people, you know, that there, there aren't necessarily people that are in your space, but don't let that define what you want to achieve. I think I was very fortunate that, especially my dad, um, my dad had his own business. So he was always traveling from one continent to the other, bringing money in for the family. So he always taught me the value of working hard. And also if you work hard, you will reap the rewards. Um, if I fast forward a few years, I had my little brother um, born. So we had 10 years uh, gap between us, if that made sense. Um, and just a bit of background to that, because I, I always, do you know what? I think when I have this conversation, and obviously Lech probably knows quite deeply about it, it's, it's something that's always gotten easier with time, but it doesn't mean that it's not a difficult conversation to have. So apologies if there's points where I pause or, you know, take a second to just gather my thoughts a bit. Um, but yeah, so I grew up with my mum, predominantly my mum and dad separated. So it was my mum that was looking after me and my brother by the point that he was born. Um, my mum also suffers from mental health and she always has done. So in my household, mental health wasn't necessarily something that I didn't know about. I understood that sometimes people have great mental health. Sometimes people have bad mental health, but that's OK. Um, so once my dad left and um, I, you know, it was just me, my mum and my brother, the roles and responsibilities of the family kind of shifted, if that made sense. So whereas my dad was the home giver, he was the person that, you know, looked after my mum, we didn't have that person in the household anymore. And me being at that point, I think I was around 13. Um, I think kids are a lot more smarter than they give on as well. So at 13, I knew within myself, okay, my dad's not here. My mum is going through up and down episodes so I'm going to be the person that supports the family I'm going to you know be that emotional connect for my mum and for my brother now if we fast forward a few more years um I changed schools so I originally went to an all-girls school in Greenwich that I hated <laughs> I hated with a passion um and then I moved over to Blackheath Bluecoats which was a whole different story but very very happy that I moved there in the end um and in year 10, when I, you know, first year of Blackheath Bluecoats, literally, and I don't know if anyone is from South East London and is from that generation, but if you are from South East London, you will know what Blackheath Bluecoats was all about. So I don't think I need to describe it anymore as a very South London. I London think that school, school. epitomises South yeah. London. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it, if that makes sense. So... Yeah, me coming from my all-girls school to Blackheath Bluecoats, a bit of a culture shock. Um, but again, the best family that I could have ever asked for and, you know, was going through year 10. And unfortunately, I think that was the point where my life really changed. Um, I lost my baby brother. He was five at the time and um, he passed away from meningitis and it was all very quick. It wasn't anything that kind of anyone expected to happen or could prepare for. Um, he, he basically got ill on a weekend and then 
couple days after that he was in a coma and um, they decided to take off the life support because of the type of meningitis that he had it basically meant that if he was to wake he wouldn't be him he would basically almost be um he wouldn't be able to he, he would be there in his mind but in terms of his body and what he would be able to do that wouldn't be there anymore so you know my parents made that very difficult decision and you know being a mum now and we'll get into that a bit later on I can't imagine that type of decision that they had to make but I think really that was where my life changed so we was in the middle of our GCSEs um in year 10 we did some of our GCSEs early so I did English early I did maths early and I did statistics early I actually remember which is crazy I've just remembered this um I did my statistics exam four days after he had passed away. So in terms of, and I think life really gets you, and that was really intense for me to take at 15, is that my life feels like it's over, but everything else keeps going, life keeps going, and you still have to move on. So that was probably my biggest lesson that I learned being that young. Um, safe to say I didn't necessarily pass a lot of those exams that I did in year 10 but I was very fortunate to resit them um in year 11 and then it gets interesting then so I did year 11 passed my GCSEs just about don't want to share how much GCSEs I got because it's not relevant anymore um but I did pass I got my you know minimum 5A star to C and um decided to say at sixth form just because at this point, I don't necessarily think I was in education for the wrong reasons. I think at this point, it was more of a distraction for me than to sit down and actually think about, OK, this is what I want to achieve in school. I want to get this more for me. It was I can get out of my house, get out of remembering all the bad things that's going on at home and use this as my escape. So yeah. I think, you know, kind of again, in hindsight, looking back. I didn't necessarily go to school for the right reasons, but it got me to where I am now. So I was very, 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 very fortunate um, that I was picked up by a charity called XLP. Um, so they are a youth charity and they help uh, basically people from underprivileged backgrounds. Um, again, people that are around gang violence, get them into sports and performing arts. So <laughs> in sixth form, I was in a girl band. Um, we won't share the name of that girl band because it's it's in the archives. It doesn't need to be brought back again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was I was working with them, and they had an opportunity uh, to bring in young people as apprentices into the bank. And they asked me. They was like, Natalie, you know, you've been working for us for a year. How do you feel about you know trying out this apprenticeship at Barclays? And in my head, I thought, I don't know if banking's for me, you know, like I'm this loud mouthy black girl from Southeast London that has loads of attitude and banking. Well, what I thought banking was, and I think my perceptions definitely changed nine years on, but banking at that time was a predominantly white 40s, 50s industry. Like I didn't think I would fit. But me being me and me being the opportunist that I was, I was like, let's do it because it's not going to make my situation any worse. It's only going to make my situation better if I do get it. And if I don't get it, it's an experience. I've never done an interview before. Um, so it'll be good to know what it's like 
at a proper firm. And then the rest is history. <laughs> Basically, uh, got the job and still here nine years later, which is mad. Amazing. Go on, Lich, would you get to say something? No, I was just going to say it's amazing because um, I know Natalie's story, but just hearing it back and just thinking of everything you've gone through and just the different phases in that journey and just to see where you are now. And I know the audience are going to hear more about where you are now, but I think, yeah, it's amazing. Thank you. Oh, yeah, my just, head. Go on. What was you going to say? Your head's getting bigger. Yeah, I was just saying my head's getting a bit big there. I'm just trying to deflate it a little bit. Important <laughs> to graduate ourselves on sort of the achievements that sometimes we miss in the hustle and bustle yeah. of yeah. everyday life. And, you know, I know that I'm victim to it. I know Lex is probably victim to it. We just go straight on and sometimes we don't even see how far we've come. But um, a great book, Ego is the Enemy, I'm going to plug that in there. Ego is the Enemy okay. is a great book. Ever. I'm going to have to uh, check that out. Yeah, they definitely touch on, uh, Ryan Holiday touches on points about that. But, um, yeah, sorry, as you were saying, I... Uh, I found myself trying to get in, but forcing myself not to as well, because there was a lot of things there that I resonated with, you know, stemming from the schools. Um, yeah. Who called? I was at Woolwich Poly. Crazy okay. school. Yeah, I know about Woolwich Poly. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of knowing what Black and Blue Coats about, you probably knew what Woolwich Poly was about as well. Yeah. Uh, school. Um, you had a 10-year gap with regards to your uh, younger sibling. That's the exact same as myself, 10-year um, uh, gap as well. But then I was going to I was gonna plug in there and just say, at that point, I know for myself, a lot of things changed for me in terms of yeah. everyday life, the way that I carried myself. Because actually, now I wasn't living for myself anymore. Um, now I was living for somebody. I know it doesn't matter how much I tell you age right age right age right but if i'm going towards b you're going then to you're gonna 100%. so it was interesting you saying that but then you having probably the shock of your life at such a young age and then you then having to sit your statistics exam four days after that i couldn't imagine how difficult that was right so that's credit to yourself as a person that you okay. could you know carry on and well push forward even though like you alluded to as well life was going on for everybody else um that in itself before going any further before talking about the career uh, where you are now etc 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 already yeah that's a pioneer thank you you know what i'm saying already that's a pioneer and you know everybody loves an underdog story and i always yeah. say i've First one to say, do you know what? You don't always have to suffer to get to where you need to yeah, get to. Yeah. See? The reality is a lot of people have to go through that hardship and I you are living testament to it at the moment. I'm gonna stop now and let you carry on because I promise Lich as well. I let him lead this one as well. Um but that's yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. So I hope other people find it as amazing as I do. But yeah, let's go. Cool. So yeah, thanks for explaining your, your journey, Natalie. Just for the audience, what's your current role now at Barclays? Oh, this is a good question. So I am um, currently a law tech ecosystem manager in Barclays Eagle Labs. Now, whenever I say that, everyone's like, 
what's that? <laughs> um, but essentially what I do is I support entrepreneurs who have created technology solutions that will disrupt and kind of help shape and shift the legal in- industry. So we have a co-working site, which is kind of like the day-to-day. And then with that, we also support them through mentoring um, and also kind of connecting with our in-house legal teams. Because as you can imagine, working for a big financial company, we have a massive in-house legal team that can support these startups. So again, it's just bridging the gap. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds interesting. Thank you. So it is. That's actually what drew me towards you because obviously I wouldn't know about all of that stuff until I spoke to Liz. But the Coles culture, yeah. I, I want to know a little bit more about that. Maybe other... Oh, that's my original baby, man. So oh. the Coles culture initially started off... Well, I started the Instagram page, the YouTube, all of that in 2018. But it stemmed from me. So when I was at blue coats when i was working at barclays and you know the first five four five six years i didn't have my natural hair so i was all about having straight hair i think that was you know looking in hindsight that was probably because i thought natural curly hair wasn't beautiful i thought it wouldn't be accepted and i thought you know i would look more better if i had straight hair so you know i Growing up, I had natural hair. It was only till I got to about 14 and I decided, yeah, I'm going to put relaxer in my hair and just make it simple. So, yeah, it kind of stemmed from me getting a bit, me feeling like I'm not being myself in a sense. So I sit here and I think, why every six weeks am I putting chemicals in my hair to make it straight for the outside perception? Like, it, it just, it it's weird at that point in my life it was just like why am I why am I doing this so I decided right I'm going to stop I'm going to stop perming and relaxing my hair I'm just going to let my natural hair grow out um and then I decided to go for the big deep cut and literally cut all of it off and I think what actually (laughs) inspired me to start the page was the first day that I cut off I went into work so now imagine I've been at this place for three years. Um, there are a few black people in the team, but no one really had their their natural hair. And for the last three years, I've been coming in with, with you know, 20, 22 inch straight hair <laughs> down my back. And then the next week I come in basically bold. And one of my colleagues, um, bless her, well, you know, bless her heart. Uh, you got to say bless, bless their heart sometimes, you know. She made a comment to me, and she was white. Um, she made a comment to me saying, um, oh, you look, you look different. I, I, think I, I think I prefer your, your, your long hair. Why, why, do you have, why do you have this hair? Can't you change it? And then I thought, first of all, it's a bit mad that you feel like you can make that comment to me because I feel like, if Suzanne went and dyed her hair brown, you wouldn't ask her why she went from blonde to brown, right? But because I've got a different texture, you feel like you have the right um, to question my decisions and also tell me that you prefer what you have than what's natural to me. Um, and there was a few instances of that. So I had I had colleagues try to put their hands in my hair and like tell me, oh my God, it looks so soft. Can I, can I? And I'm just like, please. And 
I thought, how many other people go through this, especially in the corporate world? How many other black people that decide, you know what, I'm going to do me, I'm going to have my natural hair and feel almost really awkward about it in work? Like, you shouldn't feel awkward about your natural hair. So I set up the cross culture. Um, and also at the time, and I think a lot of side hustles kind of stem from this as well, the job that I was doing at work didn't necessarily like it. So... For me, I was trying to find something that I felt positively for me did something good. Um, mm. I wasn't receiving that positive feeling from work. So I was like, okay, what else can I do that will give me that positive feeling that I'm lacking? And that's essentially how the course culture started. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of slowed down a bit because, um, you know, I've, I've got a job that I absolutely love and I'm doing things which I'm sure me and Letch and you will go into conversation about. Um, but I'm doing things that is passionate to me. So kind of that that urge that I had to start the Coles Culture because I was lacking that in my day-to-day job. I've got that in my day-to-day job now. So it's almost like balancing that time. Um, but I'm still on it. I'm, you know, I've got a few things that are to be confirmed that are I'm waiting to sign. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but yeah, really exciting space. I absolutely love it. But yeah, that's the course culture essentially. Can't you give the audience a little snippet of what's gonna come? I mean, so I won't I won't say any names, um, but before I kind of went on maternity leave, because I call my maternity leave from the calls culture. As soon as I knew I was pregnant, I stopped, <laughs> I stopped posting. Um, but before I, I went on maternity leave, I was working with a few brands and stuff. And, you know, now that I have Theo, and Theo is mixed race and he's got curly hair and that's a whole different aspect. Um, there's been a few brands that have been interested in working with us. So I am waiting for the confirmation email before I say anything because I can't say anything till I sign it off. But hopefully that will come into the pipeline, which will be really exciting. Nice. That sounds good. I, I particularly like the Coles culture um, because... And the ideas behind it, what I thought the ideas were prior to having this conversation, because um, I'm 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 very interested in black feminism. I'm very interested in the I want to say the struggles that black women go through. Because you know what, as much as any man can say, yeah, I get it. We can only get it to a degree. Hundred mm-hmm. uh, percent. Not being oblivious to the facts that. Do you know what? This is a racist... Well, let me not say racist, but um, there are racial prejudices in this world, um, whether you believe it or not. There are. They do exist. And actually, putting... Adding a patriarchal system to it as well just makes it even worse for us. But laying at the bottom of that... Of the whole system is the black woman. Exactly. Exactly. Talking about Cole's culture, there's a lady, Shahrazad Ali, and she's from like the 90s, and she's an author as well. And she wrote a book about a black man's guide to understanding the black woman, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Part of the things in there is the beauty standards. Uh, and for a very long time, as far as she can remember, we, we, our beauty standards are basically what the Western world has told us it is. Yeah. Like, uh, all of that stuff. The nose, that was a big one back then. The size of the nose, etc., etc. And you see that 20, 30 years from now, uh, from then, 
still going on now, probably even more prevalent now. And I think having things like Cole's culture, having things like ourselves that pioneer space, reminding people that, you know what? It's important to be you and to be comfortable with you. Um, You know what? Just as an add-on to that, I think it's really interesting. I think it's definitely still enhanced today, but I think what we're seeing now is more cultural appropriation. So you're seeing a lot of people get their lips done. A lot of people want to be darker and have tans and, you know, BBLs and having the the teeny waist and the, the wide hips. Like it's, it's definitely enhanced. I think it, you know, it's not, people won't sit, sit there now and say, oh yeah, you've got big lips and a big nose. I don't want to send it's, you know, uh, be around you. But I remember when I was in school, boy, half the jokes were about, Oh yeah, you got big lips, but now that's a thing. That was cool. Do you get it? It's, it's that's, that's the same thing with us. Like growing up as well. Like, I'm dark skinned. Like mm-hmm. I, probably not at school per se because I was not that guy in it. Um, like, <laughs> I wasn't the one. <laughs> people knew not to say that to me. <laughs> I know that I saw people get called blick all the yeah, time. Hundred I mean, percent. I knew how well. I thought I knew how damaging it was, and do you know what? You'd say it not because you felt nice or someone. You say it to offend them. Let's yeah. let's yeah. And now it's 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 now the cool thing, you know, to be to be dark skin. And it's like hmm, it's interesting. It's very interesting. But we move. hundred percent. We always do. Before we move, though, what I want what what I wanted to say as well. What, support, yeah, support. How important is support to you? Oh, massively, massive, massive, massive. So it's funny because I know you was obviously um, saying earlier around, you know, you got through that stuff. You did, you did your exam after you, your brother passed away. But really and truly, I don't think I would have got through that if it wasn't the support of the pupils at BBCS. So I was only at Blackheath Blue Post for probably six seven months by that point where he passed away and for the funeral everyone showed up everyone came to the reception like these were people that I hadn't necessarily have spoken to necessarily but having those people there to support me and get me through it was why I was able to wake up every day and take myself to school and even now like you know I work in finance and when I started I can definitely say there was not anyone that looked like me in an exec role there wasn't um but you find your tribe do you get where I'm coming from I've been very fortunate where I've worked in like a numerous amount of teams and you know there's there's the good apples in each team that you get and you always stay in contact with them and you know Aisha being one of them who we've set up the hustle table me and her met because she started in a team that I was working in four or five years ago and we both had the same mentality. We both had the same drive and we just connect to those people. So support is massive. I think, you know, people like to shout necessarily about, oh yeah, you know, I did this for myself. And yes, you did. But also think about the team that you have like driving you. I feel like if you've got the right mindset of people around you, you can win so much more than if you're doing it alone. And one voice is more stronger. Well, not one voice, more voices are more stronger than one voice. So, yeah, support is massive. It's a very big thing. 
Yeah, I like how you alluded it back because that's when the question came into my head. But I didn't want to, you know, interject as well at the time. But I just felt like, how mm. important you and you know what you answered it and you even gave me why. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you touched on the the hustle table. Um, what is that? Ah, the hustle table. I've got many babies in life. So, um, my dear dear friend Aisha. So. We, myself and Aisha have worked in, you know, Aisha's worked in finance for, I don't even want to quote how many years, because I know she's going to come at me if I say it wrong, but she's worked in finance for a number of years um, at different companies. And obviously I've worked in Barclays for the last nine years. And one of the things that we always, always get is whenever we run um, events, people always DM us or message us like, okay. I heard your story about apprenticeships. How do I get into apprenticeships? You know, I've got this really awkward conversation with my manager about a promotion. Like I, I want that promotion. How can I go about and get it? And even when I look at myself, there's many questions that I had in my career that I didn't have anyone to ask. I didn't have anyone that would help guide me. So it's almost, so our slogan is instead of waiting for people to create a space for us, we will create our own space. So that's what we're doing with the hustle table. You know, we're we're bringing those hints and, and nuggets that we never knew about to help people so that it it it's just not as long, if that makes sense. And you got it nice and quick. So, yeah, we started that um, again, just like you guys. We started it just before um, COVID, COVID-19. Um <laughs> And then COVID hit and it was all a bit mad and we couldn't get out filming and stuff. And then I was pregnant. So a lot of the um, films that have come out, I was actually probably around 27 weeks pregnant. I was I was coming up to my last trimester and we was just like, right, we need these. This has been we've been talking about this for almost a year now. We've got a bit of freedom because though it was the point where they was like, right, you're not locked down in 2020. So everyone's like, right, let's go. We booked um, a studio and we just literally went through all of the topics that we kind of had planned previously. Um, it's growing now, which is really exciting. So we, you know, it started off as initial just kind of sofa chat. We'll chat through different topics and then kind of put it out on YouTube. Um, since I've been on maternity leave, I've had loads of people kind of come up to me and ask me to give them some career advice and stuff like that. Um, so it's it's changing. We're going to yeah. be kind of looking at it as a consultancy basis as well. So if, you know, anyone that is a young professional that kind of wanted someone that is like them as well, because I think that's also a big thing. I've had uh, mentors and I've had role models, but none of them have ever been black. None of them have ever been from, you know, like Southeast London, speaks like me, can relate to to what madness it was like back in the day but also being professional at work so that's what we're going to do um so we're literally just in the midst of uh, formalizing all of those details but we'll be launching at the end of the year that aspect of the hustle table which is really really exciting so that is actually news so the fact that i'm saying this on this call no one knows that i just probably gonna come at me and say nat you shouldn't have said that but that's that's the big news of the hustle table so we really appreciate it we appreciate it thank you <laughs> love it we love it we love it i like that idea as well i mean it makes sense like we're having these conversations anyway so why don't i just give it to you in a program so instead of the odd conversation when you're able to reach me we have dedicated time each week 
an hour a week you know we go through your plans your what what your goals are how we can achieve that and actually formulate a good plan for you to take away and run with and that's the thing once you learn these things you don't necessarily need to keep coming back to you get where I'm coming from so it's a one session thing you get your knowledge and you can run if you want to come back and in a couple years talk about something else we can do that but yeah yeah, it's so beneficial man so Natalie I've got a couple of questions for you related to the journey and your job. Yeah. And then after that, um, Fawaz is going to get deeper. So <laughs> just, just, just prepare for that. So okay, cool. My first question was, um, so I know as part of your journey, you started at Barclays, but you didn't do the traditional university route. You did go to uni eventually. Um, but yeah, what was your thought process about, okay, I'm doing this apprenticeship. I'm not going to uni what was going through your head at that time? Do you know what? It was a mix of two. So like, if I look back to then, when I started my apprenticeship, people, everyone, everyone in my year was still in the second year of sixth form. So when everyone went to university, I was like, right, like everyone's getting to join the uni experience. And I'm here doing Mondays to Fridays. But obviously I was getting my um qualification so my apprenticeship the first year uh foundation uh apprenticeship was an mvq level two in providing financial services very very like basic very kind of you know it it wasn't anything strenuous i did a levels and i feel like a levels was a big jump from gcse's so it wasn't anything strenuous but when i finished it i was like oh right i've done that and I smashed it in less than a year. I want I, I want my degree paid for me and I, I, want, I want them to pay for it. So um, applied onto the degree program, which was for three years and that's a full degree. So I am an alumni with Anglia Ruskin University. Um, but yeah, that, that, was, that was crazy. So I was working again full time. And what they would do is they would take us out of work every three months or so stick us in um, a hotel for two weeks and then we would have our lecturers come down and basically teach us our syllabus and then they would give us our five assignments and we would have like three month period to write up our five assignments so it was intense because I was working full-time as well um best thing I could have ever done though now looking in hindsight and you know looking at some of my peers that went to university I got that work experience almost so when I was doing my degree, I was very fortunate to do loads of different placements. So I got to do time outside of retail. You know, I was working in branch essentially and I got to move to corporate. I got to go over to HR. So that gave me more of an insight into what a big company is like. Yeah. Because when you think about banks, you just think about going in, paying in money, get out money. You don't think about all the other mechanisms that come into it. So, yeah, I think... Looking at it in hindsight, I'm so happy that I did the apprenticeship. If you'd asked me that then, I probably would have said I, I would have wanted to go uni. But I'm not in debt, man, so I can't complain. I, you know, I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And I think that experience made you more rounded professionally yes. as well. It, it allowed me to build up a network. So especially in, if you're working in corporate, I think, people underestimate how powerful it is to have a network and to have a network of people that know your skills and know your ability. So 
one of the things that I always used to do um, when I was apprentice was I would go to other schools and stuff to talk about my journey because, you know, I recognised I didn't think I had a career in banking and now I'm three years deep. I've got my degree paid for me. How many other young black kids feel like they wouldn't achieve in that in that sector or they wouldn't even get looked at? So through doing that, I built my network up and people knew me as the person that can go talk at events, can talk at, about her life and, you know, make it make sense. You know, I think sometimes that's the biggest thing is you need to make it make sense as to why people should look into this as an option. And it gave me financial security. It gave me, you know, I've been able to travel and go on holidays and take my mum on holiday. And those are all things I never would have dreamed that I would have been able to achieve when I was 15. Um, so I think, yeah, it's just so vital. But yeah, I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah. I guess one of those holidays was was Amsterdam. Um, but oh. I guess that's for, that's for another call. That oh. is. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lech, didn't you go to Amsterdam with me too? Yeah, yeah. That, I guess that's why I bring it up. But um, yeah, okay. great, yeah, great let's, time. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm sure people want to know what this Amsterdam journey is about. No, we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> we don't? All right, cool. So you know? the next thing I wanted to ask you was, um, so in your current role, yes. and um, I know a lot about this, but just for the audience, what is the Black Founders Accelerator Programme? So the Black Founders Accelerator Programme is a programme completely dedicated for Black entrepreneurs. So... You know, in my current role as law tech ecosystem manager, one of the things I recognised was the lack of black founders that we had in the space. You know, me being a black person, I always come into a room and think, who else? Who else looks like me? Who else reflects the same cultures as me? And, you know, we have the biggest ecosystem in the UK. We have 25 sites across the UK from Brighton to Guernsey and Jersey. So it's crazy the amount of reach we have. But what was crazier to me was me being based in London. Why do I not have that many black founders in my network? Like, I know I can appreciate the rest of the UK might not be as diverse as London, but there should be some representation here. Um, so again, me being that mouthy Southeast London girl that I love to be, um, I was only six months into the team and I was like, right, we're going to do Black History Month events. I am going to bring my people down so that they can hear about Eagle Lab, see what we do and feel like they have a space here. And kind of off the back of that, a lot of the Black founders that I kind of spoke to, their biggest thing was they felt like they didn't have access to network. They didn't have access to funding or education, but also that they're not that there's not a space for them. Um so again, me being me, I invited our MD down and our CEO of the department. And I said, look, you know, we're, we're hosting these Black History Month events. Please come down to hear from Black founders themselves. Because I think if we really want to say that we are changing the game and, you know, we are for these communities, we need to be seated in these communities when we're having these tough decisions and these tough um, conversations. And you know, the department that I work in is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, our CEO came down and our MD came down and they was like, right, what can we do to, to support the black community? I hear it. Like I've heard, I've, I've, I've heard from them firsthand. What can I do? And then I thought, you know, 
let's create a program for them. We have programs in eGlabs where we are supporting founders over a certain amount of periods, giving them access to mentoring. Let's do that with black founders. Now, <laughs> there was a lot of conversations that I had to have. Um, but again, I think I'm very fortunate where I've built that network up. So the first people that I went to was my network. Look, I've got this idea. I think it's important. Let's run with it. And the amount of belief that I got for the program, I think, like, belief, yeah, Natalie, you can do this, run it. Like, they said, they gave me allowance to um, take a little bit of a step back from my day-to-day -day role um, and to kind of solely focus on, on the Black Founders program, which was absolutely amazing. Um, found our partner, uh, Founders Vine, who are absolutely brilliant at what they do. Um, you know, they've been running for about three, four years and their whole ethos is to change the narrative for black and ethnic minorities. So they they are fantastic at what they do. And, you know, I've been following them for a few years and I was like, right, we're going to do this. This is my one thing. If we are going to set up this program, everyone that we have to work with has to be a black organisation. We've got to have a black partner. If we're doing a media campaign, we've got to be working with black media campaign. It's got we've got to practice what we preach. Mm. Um and we did that. So we had uh, Miss Anne Harriman uh, and Cornelius Walker. So Miss Anne Harriman was the first black photographer for Vogue. Um, he shot our media campaign for the Black Founders Accelerator with Cornelius Walker, who is, um, I didn't know this at the time, but doing a bit of research, he's also from the ends like us. So he is a Londoner himself. Um, and is, it, it just practiced what it preached. So it was a 12-week dedicated program. We had 25 black entrepreneurs um, basically dedicate their time every Thursday to one of our masterclasses. And it ranged from how to pitch to what's your sales strategy to, um, God, my mind is going absolutely blank now, um, legal essentials, just so many different aspects that entrepreneurs really need to know and it's again it's not like this information is very easy to come by you either need to know someone in that department or know someone that has successfully run their business become a legal entity have their trading and and their contracts in place if you don't know those people you won't have access to this information so we set we launched the program last year um me being up to 38 weeks pregnant, jumping on the masterclasses. Um, and we ended it in a demo day uh, this year uh, where we had uh, kind of 10 of our businesses pitch and showcase their businesses. And we invited our friends um, from Eagle Labs as well as kind of uh, investors and stuff. And I'm very happy to announce that 2.0 is in planning. So we are kicking off the second program this year, um, which is great. That has been commissioned for a second time. Uh, it means that I've got another job to do. Um, so, yeah, really, really exciting stuff. And I, again, there's so much exciting things that I want to talk about the program. But these people will have my head if I talk about it. So You're, on, you're under NDA. Exactly. All I will say is just watch this space. The next three years of the programme is going to be absolutely fantastic. So that's that's all I can really say about it. Yeah, and just to just to add on to that, um, my company was fortunate to be part of the Black Founders Accelerator. And I just want to thank you, Natalie, for just driving that because I really learned a lot from that programme. It was great to network with other Black founders and 
people are just doing amazing things and it just yeah. made me think yeah I need to kind of step it up and yeah just continue to just push forward with my business so I'm not gonna lie to you Letch I've been very proud of you um again I I can appreciate this is all about me but you know coming off the program I, I've been watching I don't know if I'm allowed to quote your business name or not but um can I quote? I'm going to yep, plug go it. Ahead. Yeah, go I, ahead. I've been watching Logical Solutions since they've come off the program and, you know, seeing what you guys have done and what you guys have achieved. And, you know, you're going to, what was it, the, the AV? Yeah, we had an AV, successful AV trade show not like, long ago. Yeah, It's mad to think. I remember when you set it up and where you was when you set up a few years ago. So honestly, as much as the program was there, you applied for the program, you attended the masterclasses, you took the initiative to speak to your mentor and you've grown your business and that's down to you. So yeah, massive. I, I love it. You, you, you're doing us BBCS proud, man. You're doing us proud. Thank you. I'm blushing. <laughs> I'm blushing. So for us, it's time to get heavy hitting. Oh God, here we go. Uh, let's not let's not lie in the office that let's just have no it's just conversations let's not let's not lie <laughs> up. Um, 